Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocTalk. ZocTalk is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocTalk is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Um, Fun fact, besides like all the fun facts we just relayed, you get a bonus one today, which is that yesterday... We did a Ouija board. Yeah, th- this is why we're so like all of a sudden anti-Christ because the Ouija board is <laughs> like showing up within us. Uh, uh, yeah, we've been playing with the Here's the, the problem. We went to the Unless We Drink apartment with Eva, brought some wine and we we're hanging out and I had made a Ouija board, which I think you mentioned on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. And because um, I couldn't find one anywhere. And then Eva came over and we were like, oh, Eva or like let's play ouija board that was me not i was finally outnumbered that was anybody else and then eva goes i've never done one before and And i went went, oh hand on the fucking ouija board yeah and then we we played for a while and we got a few people that came through we also did it was a complete makeshift like our planchette was the like a cutout bottom of a water bottle it was a wine glass for a while then we redneck engineering i needed the wine glass so then we needed to come up with a new oh and then later on eva wasn't even there for this but i started i went to go fill my water bottle and i stood there for like a solid 45 seconds until i looked down and realized we had cut the bottom off that was pretty stupid anyway um <laughs> we update sorry i'm eating irish tonight you go you go very um good sound wise anyway yeah so we do ouija board and a couple there were 10 spirits apparently that came ten through spirits, yeah. apparently one followed me from cincinnati one followed eva home well, right. So one phone me from Cincinnati, which I didn't love. And then today we got a text from Eva saying, hey, I have a story. And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. What did we do to poor Eva? We ruined her. Um, and yeah, so 
Eva, can we share your story? Okay. I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to do it. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> I feel like at this point, she knows anything she says will be We broadcast. should. We should. Eva, can you bring your little friend in? No? So let me tell the story. Okay. What? Okay. So, God damn it. Okay. <clears throat> so um, why don't you tell what happened? Okay. Why something has to, something about to happen? That no. I okay. Uh, I just you're uh, you're the ghost expert. I want you to explain. Oh, aha. Uh-huh. Well, the expert between the two of us. Yes, sure. Uh, <laughs> Listen. So there, there. So okay. So Eva felt like something was following her all the way home, and she was like, "It's really weird because I feel like there's something. I feel like I'm at peace, even though I should feel really uncomfortable." Because yeah. Uh, we just played Which Ouija board. Seem fair for a ghost to be like, I'm following you, but like you're not allowed to be stressed about it. Right. <laughs> like, hmm. So she felt something, uh, even all the way till she got to bed. And then when she got to bed, there was a cat toy on the floor next to her, and the tag on it was moving by itself. Yeah, it was kind of like waving around, and there wasn't like a breeze. there wasn't a draft or anything that would have caused. And it. she said, much like all the stories she reads in like the listener episodes. She just turned around and went to sleep, and it didn't bother her. Yeah, finally, she's one of those people where we're like, <laughs> how did you what? How did you? go how did you just fall asleep like i would be up all night yeah but apparently there was like this weird wave of calm over her which is said to happen a lot yes and then she woke up to pee in the middle of the night and Mm -hmm. um her kitty cat was laying on top of the toy yeah like staring guarding it very intense and looking at her like someone tried to steal this i don't know (laughs) and then she woke up uh the next morning and she was in her kitchen and she stepped on something she's pouring water yeah and she's like i stepped on something and i looked down bit to pick it up i see (laughs) eva didn't need to bring it because you already had it (laughs) look at this okay well i kind of ruined the bag i'm sorry but eva pulls this out of her tote bag and she was like this was on the floor that i slept on last night this my friends is a mummified lemon yeah i mean what so now we have two and by the way she was like i cleaned out from under my fridge recently so it's not like it she didn't think it came from under the fridge. So who knows where this came from. But it's a mummified lemon that she stepped on in the middle of her kitchen after so, weird activity and after we forced her to do a Ouija board. So oops. Lemon's a daddy, apparently. <laughs> we always knew that. We always knew. He was <laughs> he had a way with the other citruses. Lemon lemon's a gentle them, so a gentle them, yes. Yeah. So anyway, now we've now, now I there's have a baby lemon. Now there's a baby lemon. Now you've got one to bring home while I keep real lemon. Yeah, you better actually, Eva was like, maybe you should check on real lemon and make sure like... Real lemon's fine. Like what was going to happen? What? It's like a rock. You said maybe you Chef Boyardee'd all the way from... I said that one probably Chef Boyardee'd all the way from Cincinnati. It could be. Rolled the whole way here. Well, um, uh, what was I going to say? I don't know. I'm just kind of taken aback by the fact that there's two of them now. But also, like, <laughs> since we have the other one in like in a glass case, now that one should have like a, a tiny glass, glass case. It's like a golf ball size glass case. Lemon isn't a golf ball size case. Oh. This one needs like a paintball or something. Like a like a ping pong ball. I don't know. That's I don't know. not even that much smaller, huh? A jelly bean case. Yeah, that you know. Buy one on Amazon. Like a mummified lemon case. You get well, it. Yeah, right. Why don't we just go straight to the source? I don't understand. In any case, this is what's happening currently. Yeah. When I come to visit, I just decide everyone needs to play with my homemade Ouija board and then I leave. It probably is like more enticing to the devil of like, oh, this isn't the legit thing. This is like the weird knockoff version we can really fuck with. Right? That doesn't even have numbers and has like <laughs> weird drawings of like wine on it. Yeah. it kept, one of them just kept saying goodbye every time we tried to talk. It was. It would just go goodbye. Like I'm fucking done here. And then we were like, let's do it again. Like we really were probably breaking the rules. But, but- we did find one guy out here mm-hmm. um, who... Uh, he seemed like he felt like he was kind of like an older dude. Yeah. His name was Tom Smart. He was a uh, an engineer in the army during World War II, and then he ended up uh, 
he was from Oklahoma, but he moved out here afterwards to because his wife Beatrice had family out Beatrice. here. And he, we even said like, oh, like, what do you think of Beatrice? Is she like super pretty? And it like went, yes. So yeah, like, Tom still sweet. got the hots for Beatrice. And apparently they're buried out here somewhere. No one visits them. And so I was like, oh, well, tell us where you are. We'll go visit you. And then we almost got, we kind of got like a half park? answer. It said park. And then I I like went off on a tangent. And I think I like led myself down the wrong path. But it's a park somewhere. And when we asked what park, then we get the word mine or something like his own fucking park. Mine. Maybe like a mine, like a coal mine. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> so we did that. And we also talked to one of the ghosts from Christine's very old haunted house. Yeah. And it was like I like had this sinking feeling because I had researched the history of the house. And there was this one kid who had been born in like a certain year in the late 19th century in my house and was like a teenager and was mentioned in some sources. And all of a sudden there was this teenager and it started to spell like my like my hometown and and was like, did you come with Christine? And it like shot to yes. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh and no. Apparently, like, has played with Geo. Geo does, Geo doesn't like him. Yeah. He's like, I tried to play with Geo, but he like wasn't interested or something. And, and then he doesn't like Juniper. He does not like Juniper. <laughs> right. But he said he likes me, which M always asks. And I'm like, can you imagine if it says no? I apologized. I went, are you happy with like Chrissy and Blaze living in your old house? And said yes. So, said like, yes. So hopefully he's just not being polite. Good. But um, uh, so that was weird. And then I went back and we asked how many siblings and we went back and found out it like matched and the year matched and the date matched. It was really strange. Yeah. But anyway, uh, he sees. The only reason I'm not giving more information is because I don't want to reverse triangulate my, uh -huh. my house. Well, so he specifically requested that we like, he didn't want us to know his name or anything. That's true. And we ended up finding out his name. Oops. But we broke that rule too. We made it clear that we didn't want him to. Uh, oh, yeah. He, and he was a very private guy. He kept apparently. saying Royal Air Force and then it turns out like. I forgot I'd forgotten his dad was from England and so like that freaked me out. It, yeah. I don't know, the whole thing was weird. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> it was weird. Our, these are our ramblings. Welcome. Welcome. This is the new Bible. The, this is uh the new New Testament. Correct, yeah. The newer I, testament. The newest testament. The newest because we don't testament. want anyone to make a newer newest. So we're the newest, yeah. The final testament. Let's call it that. The final testament. Doesn't sound dark and ominous that at all. That sounds like a horror movie. Anyway. Anyway, here's my story of, of, Please. of late, as of late. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. 
Daylight saving time is starting up again. It may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com drink. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So I'm like this is one of those things where like if you're on a car road trip, sorry it, about the sirens because you probably might. First of all, if you're on a road trip, panic. sorry exactly you're hearing a siren. But oh, also, there's some fire trucks coming in hot. All right. Well, if you are on a road trip, good because this is uh, a long one. So God, these damn sirens. <laughs> they do have a way of just echoing right into the. I mean, I guess the point is they need to be loud. I guess that's kind of the Let's idea. Can you turn it down? Yeah. That's You're really inconveniencing me. So <laughs> I'm trying to record a podcast. Okay, I think we're good. Okay. Okay. So if you are on a road trip right now, good, because this is going to be a long one. But it's a, it's uh, well worth it, I think. Sure. This is unfortunate that I'm not on a road trip right now. But <clears throat> pretend. I guess mind. I'll sit through it. You're sitting like you are in a car. So <laughs> you're doing nothing different. I'm than complaining if you were about sirens. Yeah. Um, okay. So. A few people requested this a while ago, and I almost did it for one of my New York live shows. Oh! Um, but it was so much information, I got overwhelmed. So took a while, but here we are. Um, so this is the story of uh, Sleepy Hollow. <gasps> what? The legend of Sleepy Hollow, which I thought was interesting. A lot of people wanted me to cover it, but I didn't know why, because it felt like... I was just going to be doing notes on like everyone's school play. Like it, it felt, felt like, like a that like movie everyone already that kind of knows the story. It's a cartoon movie too, right? Like yeah, an, an, an animated movie. So I was like, everyone already kind of knows this. This isn't. I guess but I didn't everyone know wanted this to hear real, it. I don't really know it. I don't think. Well, I don't so remember. The whole first half of this is me just doing the history of the legend of Sleepy Hollow and okay. and the author uh, Washington Irving. So. Um, I, wa- I was thinking, like, how do I make it different? I guess the origin of Sleepy Hollow is something people don't really know. Okay. And I realized that I didn't actually remember entirely the whole Sleepy Hollow story. I certainly story. don't. So. I think everyone has, like, a little patch of memory from, like, second grade and then, like, forgot about it. Unless you live in Sleepy Hollow. So I'm sure you hear about it all the fucking time. So, uh, so this is the story. And also this year is the bicentennial of oh, the Sleepy Hollow story. How fitting. So, um... I will start out with uh, some fun facts. So it, the first time it was seen on TV or like as a movie, it was a 1922 silent film. Um, and then it went on to have many more adaptations, um, including the 1949 Disney short. And then in 1999, there was a Tim Burton movie starring Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci, which, by the way, won an Oscar what? for the best art direction and had a box office. Uh, they, they made like $207 million. Jesus. Then in, I think the most recent one is in 2013, um, Sleepy Hollow had its own Fox series and they, the Headless Horseman, they wrote 
the storyline as if the Headless Horseman was one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Ooh, that's fun. Fun twist. So cute. So fun. So demonic. (laughs) (laughs) So the uh, Sleepy Hollow was written by Washington Irving, um, who was also best known for another story called Rip Van Winkle. And he's considered one of the first great American writers. Um, And so after he wrote both these stories, he wrote Sleepy Hollow second. And once Sleepy Hollow came out, he became like this massive literature celebrity. Um, He apparently was one of the inspirations for Edgar Allan Poe. Um, He was friends with like the president at the time. He was friends with Charles Dickens. Like everyone wanted to know this guy. Um, And the legend of Sleepy Hollow was significant at the time um, because this was, it came out in the early 19th century and a, a lot of sources liked to include this so i'm also going to include this that apparently at the time this story was super important because america was having a like this inferiority complex basically with europe um because uh now that they were their own uh country they felt like they had this they were living under the shadow of europe who had like culture and knowledge behind them and their own kind of like a eiffel tower (laughs) <laughs> we, we didn't have one yet in vegas we didn't have one and so every only was, a matter of time before we, we copied were, everything basically we and we were feeling super insecure of like you know europe's you know got a history to them and all this right. and we don't really know what's going to come so out did of we this. act out is that what we did so a lot of people uh not act didn't act out but there weren't a lot of um real writers yet to like document the country oh, okay because, uh, or at least no, no one that everyone was taking super seriously because right. we, we were so new. And so I guess uh, Washington Irving decided that he was going to be one of the first people to try to write. And he wanted to take from European influences so it catered to people and what they already knew. Right. But throw like a dash of Americana to it that Fun. didn't exist yet. So here's a quote um, from one of the sources. Writing in New York at the beginning of the 19th century meant writing for an audience desperate to see itself as sophisticated instead of living in a shadow. Desperate to see itself as sophisticated. Which is what this Ooh, podcast is about. That's a jab, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it makes sense. Like, yeah, they does. didn't. They were like, all we've got is like... They were like, yay, we're our own country. Oh, shit. Now what? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So Sleepy Hollow was basically some of the first Americana writing uh, born from European folklore. Okay. So like he took what he learned um, in his time because he he had been to Europe a lot. He lived in England. He was in Germany for a while. Um, But so he kind of knew spooky stories from there and then just made it an American version. Yeah. Um, So... Apparently, the folklore of the Headless Horseman, he brought that over from Europe. That's apparently been a, a common lore since, like, the Middle Ages. Um, Sigmund Freud, fun fact, thinks that uh, society's, quote, historical fascination with beheading is symbolic of anxiety surrounding male castration. I literally probably could have just guessed what you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting something important off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I thought I'd throw that in. That's fun. And a lot of other uh, scholars have said that the Headless Horseman in most stories represents uh, a past that never dies or will, will continue to haunt you until further notice. Ooh, see, I like that better. That makes so much more that sense. That one's creepier to me. Um, someone, One of the scholars said, the horseman, like the past, still seeks answers, still seeks retribution, and can't rest when we are haunted by our past. So... Um, so older European traditions have, uh, instead of a necessarily called the headless horseman, they have a wild huntsman, which apparently was this writer who 
was followed by the horse rider who was followed by a bunch of dogs and he would punish people for their crimes. Um, apparently, uh, Washington Irving, the author of Sleepy Hollow, was he had probably learned this lore from his friend and mentor, Sir Walter Scott, who did a translation for that story. Um, and other headless horseman lore includes there's an Irish legend called the Dullahan, which is basically another Grim Reaper who carries his head. Um, the Green Nar- the Green Knight in the King Arthur legends, the horseman that haunts the Isle of Mull in Scotland. There's a tilled huntsman in Scandinavia. So there's headless horsemen all over the goddamn place. <laughs> just um, like, won't leave us alone. Just like, come on, it's find like your we, head already. We get it. So um, you're obsessed with castration. I get it. You're so obsessed with yourself. Like you who know? isn't at this point? All of these uh, combined with the. Uh, local lore that washington irving was hearing about in the town he was in which i'm gonna get to that in a second um it all kind of was a mod podge and like uh, in, just created the headless horseman through all these different lores he'd heard okay um and the local lore that he was hearing outside of like european headless horsemen he was hearing about this one soldier um during the american uh during the revolutionary war um who was probably a Hessian soldier uh, who I guess they were uh, contracted by the British. They, one of them apparently had his head uh, cannonballed off. Oh dear God. For a lot of a better term. really unfortunate. And uh, that happened uh, nearby where he was staying. So he was living in the Hudson Valley region of New York. Right. Um, and there were two battles at that time uh, that during the Revolutionary War that were pretty monumental. And one of them was the Battle of Manhattan and the Battle of White Plains. And basically in one of those battles, the this Hessian soldier had his head blown Yeesh. off and he now was buried in a cemetery nearby. And so people would always talk about like, oh, the ghost of him, he's still looking for his head. Uh, so that is kind of the where his inspiration for Headless Horseman came, uh, at least from in local lore. Um, so yeah, it's widely believed that that soldier is buried in the old Dutch churchyard, um, in quote, sleepy hollow. Um, and let me see, sorry, I lost my spot here. Okay. So the story takes, uh, the story that he ends up writing the legend of sleepy hollow takes place in the 1700s in near Terrytown, New York. Um, and this is considered America's first ghost story. Oh, wow. So, sorry, I like, I feel like I rambled and like talked in circles a lot about the soldier, but there was like a lot of places he pulled inspiration from. Sure. But the thing that really like solidified it for him was the fact that he was living in that area yeah. and was like, I'm going to write a story about this because this is the first ghostly thing I've heard in this country. That's cool. Um, but so the town Sleepy Hollow that he writes about was a, a fictional town inspired by where he was staying in the Hudson Valley, and he really loved its tranquility and how quiet and peaceful it was. Um, He even said it was near the Catskills, and he even said that it had a, quote, witching effect on his imagination. Mm. Um, And so basically, as I get to the story, um, Sleepy Hollow is known to have this weird air around it where, like, it's so peaceful and tranquil that everyone's kind of bewitched into, like, this Ooh, that just gave me goose camp because like if you think about it why would it have been named sleepy hollow unless sleepy, somebody because everyone's kind of like what i'm saying like unless somebody was like that's what this feels like yeah, exactly <laughs> this place feels like so that's uh i th- i think he probably was there and he was like it feels eerie on its own or like it's so tranquil and quiet that like it could be like an eerie feeling so anyway he 
really also pulled from the town itself. And so Irving actually went up to um, the Hudson Valley area at uh, 15 in the 1790s, and he was there to stay in the town, Terrytown, with one of his friends. Um, he moved there because at the time, <laughs> topical, uh, New York was dealing with a an epidemic. What was it? Of yellow fever. Well, that's unfortunate. Which, <laughs> get ready, at the time... An astonishing 5,000 people had been killed in one year in Philadelphia. Oh, geez. Yikes. Wait, in Philadelphia? In Philadelphia alone. Oh, holy crap. And so then it was about to go to, I guess it was spreading, it was getting to New York. And so a lot of people in New York, if they could afford it, they were fleeing before anything else. I don't blame it. Well, it's still very, yeah, you're right, very topical. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, that's a little too on the nose. Boy. Um, So... And fun fact, uh, <laughs> due to this, because 5,000 people ki- were killed in one year from yellow fever in Philly alone, Philadelphia is, uh, they built the first, the nation's first quarantine station. Oh, really? Yeah. In Philadelphia. Yep. I wonder if it's being used today. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's hopefully not, because it's probably not <laughs> probably up to not code. Up to code. <laughs> um but yeah so anyway i saw a quarantine and epidemic and i went oh boy uh those words you're like i see them every day (laughs) i know it's like i can't escape it um so a lot of families who could they fled from their urban town and tried to move somewhere with a lot of open space and so that happened to be the hudson valley um and so most people speculate because they there's a kind of a dispute of like where Sleepy Hollow itself is. Some people say, oh, it's in Terrytown or it's in this area or it's in this area. And a lot of people try to claim it for themselves. Like, no, no, no. He was talking about our space when he mentioned Sleepy oh, Hollow. Oh, so the town is not actually called that. Sleepy Hollow was a fake town. Oh, okay. I was like, that's so weird. They named it that after feeling the air or whatever. Okay. No, no, no. So it was like. He named was, it that. He named it. He was like the Hudson Valley makes me feel like this. JK, 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 but yeah, so a lot of people try to claim ownership of Sleepy Hollow, sure. being like, this is what inspired him. Because he stayed kind of all throughout. He mainly stayed in Terrytown, but he visited other areas. Right. So a lot of people think that he pulled inspiration from different areas. But where Sleepy Hollow is, nobody entirely knows for sure. But most people say it's probably Terrytown because that's where he was living. Um, and a, a lot of people also argue, probably the second largest argument is that Sleepy Hollow is actually Kinderhook, New York. Mm. Um, many, including President Martin Van Buren, he said that Sleepy Hollow is actually Kinderhook because Irving spent time there and based a lot of the characters oh. that, on actual people that were there. Okay. So now the argument is the town was based off of Terrytown, but the people were based off of people in Kinderhook. Oh, my gosh. I know. So uh, in 1814, so I'm going to talk about, um, uh, I'll just... I'll just say this real quick. In the 1990s, North Terrytown, just to like end the dispute once and for all, literally changed their name to Sleepy Hollow. Oh, so there is a Sleepy Hollow. There's now. officially oh, okay. one now because there was such a dispute. I can't and, believe nobody did that earlier, like to, to nab yeah. it first. <laughs> so it's North Terry. I don't know if that's Terrytown or just North Terrytown, but they were like, okay, well, we're Sleepy Hollow. We're just no gonna- one else is taking it. All right. Yeah. So anyway. Now there is officially a I kind of love that. It's very petty. It's like if I were the mayor oh, of a town. That's yeah. for sure us. <laughs> um, so in 1814, now we're going to talk about, since a lot of people think that the characters were inspired from people in Kinderhook, um, in 1814, Irving actually did meet or at least uh, run into in some way a real Ichabod Crane, who's the <gasps> main character from Really? Um, like with that name? A real Ichabod Crane. And what? 
apparently he's nothing like the character in the story but washington irving really liked the name i mean that is that. you got to use that if you find someone with that kind of name you got to do something with it yeah exactly and craig was a um like a super decorated really serious military man um who like ichabod crane is not um so irving only used his name but said his personality was from a different person in kinderhook um uh, by the way apparently uh the ichabod crane in real life when he found out that his name was used in the legend of sleepy hollow he was like ashamed because he didn't want to be associated with such a quote laughable character um meanwhile the person the person whose personality is based on ichabod crane is stoked (laughs) sure um (laughs) so apparently uh his name was jesse merwin and that was uh, one of Washington Irving's actual friends from when he lived out there. And Jesse Merwin was a teacher in Connecticut, which Ichabod Crane also was. Um, and their personalities just really match up. And anytime it gets mentioned, Jesse Merwin is like so excited that he's Aww. somehow associated. Um, or he used to. He's like 200 years well, old now. Okay. <laughs> sure um, he still does. We can ask the Ouija <laughs> board later. <laughs> Uh, another theory is that Ichabod was actually a different person named Lieutenant Samuel Youngs, um, who lived in Terrytown and was friends with other people who, as I get through the story, it'll make more sense. But there's another family in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow called the Van Tassels. Okay. And Lieutenant Samuel Youngs was friends with the real Van Tassels. So they think, oh, maybe the real Van Tassels and the real, quote, Ichabod Crane were friends and... So there's a lot of rumors of who is who, but it's kind of understood that Jesse Merwin is the personality of them. Um, And then there's other locations all throughout the Hudson Valley that are either named after portions of the story or are known to be inspiration for the story. So they have a lot of Sleepy Hollow pride out there. Um, And also there's also an Irvington town, town called Irvington after him. There's a bridge called Rip Van Winkle Bridge. So they've got a, a lot of stuff going on. So... Irving, eventually, he lived in Terrytown until he passed away there. Uh, he had a heart attack, and he's now buried in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Wow. And uh, his home is now a museum in Terrytown. Oh. So, uh, and obviously, that town has a lot of Halloween-themed events. The most recent one is, like, an outdoor theatrical experience. Um, but so he, when he first got there, he was apparently, quote, smitten with the area. Mm. Um, and he also was obsessed with ghost stories. And so he combined his two loves and made a ghost story about it. And that's when he started researching, um, ghost stories in the area. Apparently everyone only talked about the headless horseman, probably because everyone had just come from Europe and they were like, this is the most common lore. So let's start one here. And there's like a beheaded soldier in our cemetery. This guy's missing his head, right? Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. 
And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, so... In 1817, after the war of uh, 1812, he went to England and because he wanted to join a bunch of literary circles and like really perfect being a writer. But he had some writer's block and he ended up talking to his brother-in-law, like being like, what's like, what are, what are your favorite memories growing up? And so he realized that he loved when he lived in the Hudson Valley as a teenager. So that night he like stayed up all night and wrote this collection of stories called The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, which was his pen name, apparently. <laughs> what? And uh, it was uh, in 1820, it was published and it was called The Sketchbook by Jeffrey Crayon. Um, They're like, we'll put that in small font. Yeah, in crayon, in crayon. It's crayon. Um, And uh, so he hoped that no one would know about it. I think he just wanted like a raw opinion from people without his name attached to it. Um, But one of the first people that wrote a review for him was one of his best friends, in publishing named Henry Brevoort. And this is my favorite part of my notes is that apparently uh, Henry Brevoort and Washington Irving are suspected to have been in a relationship. <gasps> and so there's a lot of speculation Ooh. that Irving was gay. Yeah. And um, to a point where when Henry got married to a woman, mm. uh, people have found a letter that Washington Irving wrote saying uh to henry saying that his wife quote completely usurped my place okay and i'm about to actually cry and the letter he said he hopes that she may prove as constant and faithful to you as i have so it's like a like a breakup letter goose cam that's just like heartbreaking so there's a lot of talk that they were together from. He's like, well, I'll write your book a good review, I guess. I guess. I don't know if it happened before or after, but it was a, a rave review at the very <laughs> least. He's like, I guess I can do one thing. And uh, was Irving married? I don't know. I don't think so. I guess not. If There's also a few, apparently, in other stories, it's like been either implied that he was gay. Um, like he never had any like 
It sounds like a lot of his stories, no one was married or anything like that. Mm. I don't know. It's not, there's apparently a lot of speculation. I'm like no writer, but I saw in a few sources when I typed in um, Washington Irving on Google, like gay came up as one of the things. So like, I'm not the only person to have looked into it. Clearly. Um, But yeah. So anyway, he wrote a rave review, but in the review, he um, outed Washington Irving as Jeffrey Crayon. Oh, so people didn't... So people found out immediately oh that Washington God. Irving wrote it. He's um, like, I tried. And he was like, well, I was trying to be fucking like, modest about it and humble, but I guess people know it's me now. And he immediately got called the finest British writer produced by America. He's like, oh, I really wanted to just be super humble, but I guess I'll be the greatest writer of all time, <laughs> Mr. Crayon. So anyway, it's that's basically what happened. And... That is all the history of Sleepy Hollow and Washington Irving. So now I'll just tell you the story of Washington Irving. I'm going to settle in. Um, So to start out, it's narrated by this Dutch historian. That's what they say, at least, like in the writing. It's like, oh, "Oh, here's here's who's reading this to you. Because it's not Washington Irving or Jeffrey Crayon. Now it's Diedrich Knickerbocker. (laughs) Who, by the way, did you know Washington Irving coined the term Knickerbocker? Really? Yeah. Do you know what Knickerbocker means? Aren't they like pants? Like underwear? It's pants? That's knickers. I don't know if knickerbocker is the long version of that. Oh, what does that mean then? Knickerbocker apparently just means a resident of New York. If you live in New York, you're a knickerbocker. Did everybody know this except me? Well, there's like a hotel or something called the knickerbocker, right? Yeah, I knew that. It'd be funny if it was called like the underpants. The underpants. I thought it was like (laughs) the old timey pants people wore. Bloomers? No. I don't know. Mm. The knicker bloomers? Okay. Anyway. Diedrich Knickerbocker, which apparently, as this was written, was referred as a resident of New York. That's excellent. So, um, someone in New York is like, I know the fucking answer. Or someone's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but (laughs) I guess we'll take it. Listen, take it. Run with it. Take it. We just told you you're called a Knickerbocker. Put on your Knickerbockers and run to New York. Okay. By the way, if if the camera can see my fish flops. God. Okay. I was hoping that wouldn't happen. Um, So... Diedrich Knickerbocker says that this is a story that he heard from someone 30 years ago and like feels like this is the right time to tell it. Okay. Um, so here's, first of all, uh, a quote about the um, the tranquil, sleepy allure of the town. So it's a very, very flowery story. Like, I did read the entire story, and I want you to know, as a reader, it was a it was a lot of effort for me. As a reader, it was as, as someone as who's not a reader. Sorry. As someone who's <laughs> like, not wait a, reader. a second. It was um, it, granted, it was probably only like twelve pages, but that's twelve more than I'm used to reading, and it was very you read flowery. The whole thing? I did. Oh. Um, for me, it was a feat. So baby steps. Um, but like half the half of the first page is him just describing the town of Sleepy Hollow. Seems Hall. to be all, most old literature. It's like yeah. okay, skip the first sixteen pages. I want you to feel like you're literally there. So, um, this is a quote about the town: "A drowsy, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land and to pervade the very atmosphere. Some say that the place was bewitched and holds a spell over the minds of the good people, causing them to walk into continue uh, to walk in continual reverie." They are subject to trances and visions and frequently see strange sights. However, wide awake they may be before they entered that sleepy region, they are sure to inhale the witching influence of the air, grow imaginative, dream dreams, and see apparitions. Just got goose cam again. That's Don't it. skip the first 16 pages because this <laughs> sounds lovely. So it's basically like even if like you're not uh, like someone who lives there, you're... if you're just popping in, if you're there long enough at some point, it will Draw take you. over you, <gasps> take you over. That's and so cool. And every, and 
I need to go there. I'm like way too high strung <laughs> for my own good. Well, so it also, I guess, implies that um, I was reading a lot of analyses on these. Like I was trying to read like the spark notes, like, uh, like explanations. <laughs> but a lot of people see it as like, it was almost like this town was a groundhog day where every day it's very sleepy. Everyone does the same things, but everyone without fail is just like a believer in ghosts and every single part of the town is super haunted and everyone takes it as just fact. Wow. And so they were all very used to like seeing everyone saw the headless horseman at one time or another. Everyone had a haunted moment on the bridge. Everyone had a haunted moment in the church. Like it was just like a day to day life. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then even if you stepped in for a day, you immediately kind of got that same sense. So this, uh, what's interesting too, in one of my SparkNotes analyses that I saw, um, the the fact that this, that he's explaining it as like this, this air over you and everyone takes it in and you become part of the town. It was, a lot of people saw it as his way of discussing the epidemic going on. It was the <gasps> contagion that was oh, part of a town creepy. that you couldn't escape. So I, that was kind of interesting um, okay. and spooky all at once. So um, anyway, the main character is Ichabod Crane. Um, he was new to town. He was from Connecticut. He was going to be the new schoolmaster in town. Um, and he was known to be very authoritative with his students. Mm. Um, he And this is a quote about him <laughs> where Ichabod Crane, I think, is... Um, I think Washington Irving wanted to paint a picture of someone who's not a very good looking person. Oh, my. <laughs> By society's standards. Okay. Um, this is the very first introduction we get to Ichabod Crane. He was tall, but exceedingly lanky, with narrow shoulders, long arms and legs, hands that dangled a mile out of his sleeves, feet that might have served for shovels, and his whole frame most loosely hung together. His head was small and flat on top, with huge ears, large glassy eyes, a long snipe nose, so that it looked like a weathercock perched upon the spindle neck to tell him which way the wind blew." To see him striding along the profile of a hill on a windy day with his clothes bagging and fluttering about him, one may have mistaken him for the genius of famine descending upon the earth or some scarecrow eloped from a cornfield. And then Jesse, his friend, is like, I love that you talk about me in your book. <laughs> no wonder, like, like major Ichabod Crane is oh, like, like, I don't want to be directed. lanky. Are you kidding me? But anyway, he apparently like he's Slender like, Man. he's like the, de- like the poster child of famine and a scarecrow and also has like a weather vane nose or something. <laughs> so like, he's not looking hot. And so, so even in the Disney short, which I also watched that, I watched yeah. the full movie, um, even in the Disney short, the first song that they used to describe Ichabod, they describe his looks in it. And uh, by the way, everyone in that movie is Bing Crosby. It's voiced by Bing Crosby. Really? <laughs> like every single person except one, I think. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, you, the first song where he's like walking into town for the first time, the lyrics are, who's that coming down the street? Are there shovels or are they feet? Lean and lanky, skin and bone with Clothes a scarecrow would hate to own. Ichabod, what a name. Kind of odd, but just the same. Funny pants, funny frame. Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. (laughs) But here's the thing that then threw me off. By the end of the song, they're calling him like a fuckboy. Like he's like a total ladies man. What? They, Bing Crosby was like, I got to insert some of myself in this story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was like, listen, Walt Disney, this yeah. is not going to work. 
Uh, so the song is maybe 45 seconds long, and they do that for a hot 30. Okay. And then 15 seconds later, who's the town ladies' man who gets around like nobody can? Has to be none other than Ichabod Ichabod. Really? So suddenly he's a ladies' man? Yeah, but like his look doesn't change or anything. It's just like, oh, and also he like got every lady he has a by great, looking like a scarecrow. A great personality. He must have a kind heart. So... Um, the the next shot in this in the Disney short, by the way, is his social calendar, and he, every single thing is a different women's function. Is like what? he's just like like batter up, okay, just Disney. like geez, going hitting the town and going to every single. You're like children, look at this planner. Yeah, what a weird. <laughs> it was angle. like woman's okay. potluck, woman's. Uh, i don't know rotary i don't know i don't know what they're just doing. gonna watch the women at the rotary meeting <laughs> jesus um and then uh he apparently and this goes back to just like the actual washington irving story but he often also uh would drive the younger kids or drive the younger kids home or escort them home from school if they're if they had pretty sisters or moms ew so like he was a fucking little kind of ladies a, man but also like kind of a creepo oh yeah but i but here's the thing at the time, um, oh, he would also, I want to add this real quick. He would also be less authoritative at school to the kids whose moms were good looking or were really good cooks. Mm. So, like, even if you were, like, the shittiest kid, if your mom knew how to throw together a pie, you were all right. Which, like, if I were a teacher, I'd probably be the same. Actually, way. yeah, it sounds pretty pretty correct. Which, like, n- not in the ladies' man way, but in this other way, I feel like I am Ichabod Crane because he, this guy... And the, loves. and the feet of shovels and the feet of shovels or fish yeah yeah um he loves to eat this guy like well how is he so scrawny ha- he's starvation he's got the what? metabolism of a scarecrow obviously yeah just like we do his he and pretty much anytime that um that washington irving is writing this or diedrich knickerbocker is narrating it anytime they're talking about his like inner monologue He's like describing food. Like that's fantastic. And I'm like, Holy shit! The-. And that's another thing that people say too about it, kind of implying that Washington Irving might be gay because even times where he's fantasizing about women, he's actually just thinking about the food at the house that he's gonna when he sees. Them. And Disney's like, we're gonna lean into the woman part, though. Yeah, he's like, I have a crush on this woman, so I better get to her house and then eat all of the delicious food and then <laughs> fantasize about that. So um, anyway, so. You were saying like, oh, but he's also kind of a creep or like the women might like seemed not like how weird he is. But at the time, apparently schoolmasters and rural areas were like just the most sought after men. Oh. Even though they didn't make a lot of money. So like if money didn't matter to you, a schoolmaster was was the one for you because they were still seen as superior because of their educational status. They could read and write when a lot of people couldn't. They were seen as very cultured, knowledgeable, gentlemanly. They could carry conversations because they knew they could talk about anything. Probably somewhat straight laced because they have the rules. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And they're good with kids in yeah. theory. So, okay. um, as, and this is in specifically rural areas where you don't really know anyone outside of your community, but a schoolmaster was known to be a traveler. So that's where the cultured part comes oh. in too. Um, Cause they would kind of just like, uh, sign a contract and stay in one spot for a little bit, but then they could tell I you all see. about their their travels. I guess I see why Jesse was kind of into this portrayal. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, okay, yeah, call me, a, call me a scarecrow, but call me a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these were all the reasons that that mate, regardless of his, you know, like this, his looks that society normally wouldn't have enjoyed or whatever he was still the most sought after because they were like, we could talk to him about anything. He is confident in a room. He knows how to read and write and can tell us all about books. He's discovered. 
And so uh, basically the women were all after him because he could hang out with them and have confidence versus the, quote, shy country bumpkins who were less educated and couldn't provide that kind of intellectual relationship. That's as the way it was put. Um, another reason they did, they liked him is because uh, schoolmasters were notorious for knowing all the townspeople pretty intimately. Because, like I said, they would travel into a town that they didn't know. Uh-huh. And so, as part of the school teacher contracts of the time, I don't know if there was really a contract, but the agreement that a schoolmaster would make is that they would get paid less money, but it would they would get free room and board because the town would agree to um, to house him on a rotational period, mm. which meant that the schoolmaster was living at one point or another in every single oh my, person's house, what? which meant that they were like ripe with gossip. Well, and they knew who was the best cook for sure. And that's why he was like, oh, I'm going to be nice to you because next week I'm staying at your house and I know what kind of cook your mom is. I need that pot pie. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So since people took teachers in on a rotational basis, he knew every single little nitty gritty thing. And so women also loved him because he would like. I think like I'm in love with tea. him. I'm not really sure at this point, but I'm like, what? I know. what's happening? I'm like, okay, Ichabod, Ichabod. I think we're all in love with him. So while he was living in these folks' home, um, beyond gathering gossip for to like woo the ladies, his favorite activity was just sit at the fire at night and just talk to them. And he would like to ask them their favorite spooky stories because Ichabod, much like Washington Irving, loved ghost stories. Got it. So he wrote himself into that character a little bit. Love where that. He would travel and just want to hear about people's like favorite ghost stories. Love that for you, Irving. And <laughs> and so, um, uh, la, 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 la. where are we? I lost it. Oh, 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 because it happened to be Sleepy Hollow. Ichabod Crane was super stoked because he was like, "Oh, this is like everyone has a story. Typical like the whole spook. the whole town is spooky." So, right. um, he loved living here and just asking anyone what their favorite story was, and all of them seemed to be aware of like their own eerie vibe to the town. Like they all knew that they were in a trance and didn't care. They were like, this place is spooky. We're fine with it. Um, But in exchange for their ghost stories, Ichabod, one of his favorite books was Cotton Mather's history of new England witchcraft. And so he would, he would like barter and be like, if you give me a ghost story, I'll tell you something about witchcraft. Okay. So so like they were both kind of learning something. Um, And so, that being said, even though it was his favorite thing, Ichabod was also super superstitious and would get freaked out very easily. And so when he would walk home, if he was staying with someone or meeting up with a friend, anytime he had to walk home, he would freak himself out because he had to walk through the really eerie woods oh, at That's night. like Eva when we sent her home after the... And then he found a mummified lemon in his kitchen. <laughs> um, but so... Uh, so that's that's important for later that he like is very quick to get scared. Um, but one way, since he didn't make a lot of money, another way that he would kind of have a side hustle is that he um, did some random farm work at whoever's house he was staying at, or he would also teach um, singing lessons in right. town. And so when he, one of the students that he taught singing to was Katrina Van Tassel, who was the daughter of the richest farmer in town. Nice. And here's something weird uh but she was 18 apparently she was known to be a flirt she like knew that all the guys wanted her because she was like the richest man's daughter so she allowed it she was like okay you can court me and you can court me and you can court me um but she was described as plump as a partridge ripe as one of her father's peaches which like again this weird like little uh interest in the food more than anything else right it is food you're right if like i i don't know i 
don't know where I was going with that sentence. You are plump as a partridge. <laughs> I had I had like five different things I was going to say and then I ignored all of them. But like, I guess if he, you are sweet as apple pie. I'm trying to think of other if he is uh, If he is gay and he's trying to, you know, if, if he's trying to imply that he like, if he doesn't know how to describe women, like I could see him being like, plump as a partridge like, i like, like food i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like she looks d- delicious I think. like really like <laughs> hyper focusing on some other thing <laughs> <laughs> so uh arguably this this is my own uh analysis and my own critique but arguably he doesn't want katrina even though in the story it's kind of like this like little love story of oh he wants to be katrina but i for the like the first time ever read this thing to back up my own opinion but like he does not really like her. It sounds more like he just wants access to all of the farm animals that like her fought like to eat them. To eat them. Like every like the first time he's describing her. There's like <laughs> Yeah. Maybe? Yes. Uh he in his description of like Katrina, like the first sentence is like, I like Katrina. She looks like a peach or something. And then <laughs> and then he's like, he goes into such <laughs> lush detail about like the ways he would like eat these farm animals of like the hell oh like because he's thinking like think of the bacon from that pig and think of you know what the steaks from this cow okay? and think about the he's like obsessed he, like with actually food. starving it sounds like maybe 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 he's never had access to any of the food but it's pretty weird i listen you argue that he's not that into her he's into her food I, I was reading his descriptions and I, yes, they were weird, but I was on board. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. Like, Fuck, I would think about that. Too. I'm like actually hungry now. He described uh, like the chicken, the geese, the turkey. I mean, any food there, anything that he could cook somehow and then eat and he would have have access to it if he married the person who owned the biggest farm in town. He was like, that's the one for It wasn't me. like I'm going to get a lot of money to buy a lot of food. It was like. No, here's the direct access. He was just daydreaming about the, wow. the meals served to him. And then he also thought, oh, and it also wouldn't hurt that, like, once her father's gone, we would both inherit that money and I'd also be rich. So, like... Oh, 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 sure. But they they make it seem like this guy... Like, I'm kind of framing him as, like, he's, like, a, quote, bad guy because he's not interested in the girl. But they make... They frame it, like, that he's, like, the protagonist of this story and there's many reasons to love katrina including the food he could eat and the money he would make not bad um but uh his biggest competition in town is this man brom van brunt who also goes by brom bones because he's so strong so um they call him brom bones for some reason but he's apparently like the pinnacle like all-american boy the dreamiest man in town everyone loves him he's never done a bad thing he's like basically um like gaston but well respected and funny and friendly and a hunk yeah a hunk for sure and he's like everybody loves this man he like won all the horse races and shit so here's a quote the neighbors looked upon him with a with a mixture of awe admiration and goodwill everyone loved this guy um so the guys in town knew that brahm liked katrina and they were like we respect this guy too much like we're not even gonna get in his way like yeah katrina and brahm are gonna be together and then uh so even though no one else was willing to challenge him ichabod was like i fucking apparently want all this bacon like i'm hungry so (laughs) So, i'm hungry and i want money so i'm also i just i want what you want um and so he decides like well i'm not anywhere near as strong as brom bones so i'm going to have to be sneakier about this and he starts coming up with this guise of like oh, i'm gonna teach private singing lessons at Mm -hmm. katrina's house so they could be alone together okay um 
And so when Brom felt threatened by this, he and his friends started pranking Ichabod whenever they could, which like is such a nice, calm, friendly way to like, he must have really not really thought that he was like really threatened. He was like, okay, guy, like you can try, but I'm also going to prank you along the way until I win. But uh, so here's a quote from when they would prank him, uh, Brom and his friends. They smoked out his singing school by stopping up the chimney. They broke into the schoolhouse just to turn everything upside down. <laughs> and Brom had a dog who he taught to whine in the most ludicrous manner whenever Ichabod would sing. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's yeah. a very long, drawn out prank. Imagine how long it would, you would have to teach. It would take to teach your dog that. Yeah, a long, long time. So one day Ichabod gets invited to the Van Tassels for a party, which was known at the time as a quilting frolic. Oh, I don't know why we're not having Eva, quilting frolic. Write that down. Eva, we got to have a quilting frolic today. We're having a quilting frolic. Um, so he rushed to he rushed his students out of school that day. He was like, you got to get out of here. I got I to gotta head out early. He got as dressed up as he could. And then he even borrowed a horse from a friend named Hans von Ripper, which is kind of funny because it sounds like Rip Van Winkle. It does. So I don't know if that was like a nod to it. It's but fun. Um, so the horse's name was Gunpowder. Gunpowder wasn't looking great um Uh they they were uh, a pair um, they were matched a match made in heaven apparently um according to washington irving and society's looks uh the animal was broken down was a broken down plow horse he was gaunt and jagged with an ew neck and had a head like a hammer his rusty mane and tail were tangled and knotted with burrs one eye had lost its pupil (gasps) and was glaring and spectral but the other had a gleam of a genuine devil in it (laughs) i love this horse gunpowder He's he's just trying to make every day work. That's I, love, I love him so dearly. Um, but yeah, so apparently the, neither of them are looking great according to Washington Irving only. But then again, like he's also hyper fixated on all this food. So I yeah. don't know wh- what if he's really thinking straight or not. So the whole ride there, Ichabod is daydreaming again about the food at the party and not Katrina. Love it. Although they, he writes it as if like, I think Washington Irving generally thought he was like, I'm assuming he's gay at this point. I think Washington <laughs> Irving like thought he was doing a great job making it look like, yeah, I know how to think about women. And like, if I were Ichabod Crane and in love with this woman, I know how to, you know, daydream and fantasize about her. <laughs> I'm pulling it off. No one's ever going to guess. He keeps getting but distracted then it's like by <laughs> four paragraphs of like all the delicious food that's going to be at this party and no mention of Katrina. So that's incredible. Um, and so then the, Ichabod gets to the party, and guess what we have to read about next? More paragraphs where he's confirming all of the food he he's has like, yep, about is at the party. Check. I was like, Jesus. Okay, so the party's going great, and uh, Ichabod is dancing with Katrina, and Brom Bones comes in and sees and is a little jealous, but it's fine. Everyone's winding down, and eventually everyone gathers by the fire to tell spooky stories. And everyone's telling, like, you know, this ghost story and this ghost story, all from different haunts in the area. But eventually they get to their favorite, the Headless Horseman. Mm. And uh, basically the Headless Horseman, I've said this already, but the story within The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is that allegedly the Headless Horseman is the Hessian soldier who lost his head from a cannonball during the Revolutionary War who was buried outside at the church. Um, And he rides each night uh, throughout the woods in search of his head and will stop anyone who gets in his way. Um. And the church apparently has woods nearby that lead to a brook, and that brook has a bridge on it. And uh, it's spooky even during the daytime, but apparently if you're able to cross that bridge, if you see him in the woods and he's chasing you, if you can get to the bridge, the the Headless Horseman cannot cross I the bridge. I remember that scene from Yeah, like, that's the only thing the I forest. remember, too. That was my only memory of that movie. Um, apparently, 
even Brom Bones himself is usually a skeptic, but he was like, no, the Headless Horseman has definitely chased me a few times, but anytime I've gotten to the bridge, he turns into a skeleton and then disappears in a flash of fire. Oh, spooky, spooky. Um, so after these stories, the party begins to clear out and Ichabod stays behind to talk to Katrina and even the narrator himself doesn't know what happened. Like Diedrich Knickerbocker narrating this is like, I don't know what happened, but um, we next see Ichabod looking really upset. So I guess he got rejected by Katrina. Mm, what? Okay. They like, even Washington Irving was like, Skip. I don't know how to talk about women. It Skip. didn't work out. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. There's no food in this story. You get it. There's no food in this chapter. I don't know how to like lean into something. So, um, so all we see is that he's upset after the party. Clearly something didn't work out with Katrina. And so now he's walking home and, uh, on his way home, he's still thinking about all the ghost stories, too. Okay, so he's not thinking about Katrina. Okay, Washington not Irving. <laughs> he's thinking about all the ghost stories that people were just talking about, and he's freaking himself out as he's riding sure. through the woods. Um, every single sound is freaking him out. He sees this tree that's kind of a landmark in the town because it's known to be this really haunted tree. He's seeing uh, shadows that are cast from it. The leaves and the branches are sounding like people wailing. And nearby, he sees the brook and the bridge, but he hasn't gotten there yet. But all of a sudden, uh, you know, even though nobody likes being there alone at night, he's like wishing people were near him. He doesn't want to be anywhere in the woods by himself. And he's moving past one clearing and all of a sudden gunpowder halts and won't move. <gasps> oh, no. And so Ichabod starts whistling, too, to try to, like, drown out the creepy yeah. sounds he's oh, hearing. Oh, yeah. Which, to me, is worse because you're just, like, calling yourself out as a you're prey. To, yes, like, for sure. I'm right here. Come get me. For sure. Um, But gunpowder won't go no matter how much Ichabod, like, kind of kicks him in the stomach. Like, like kicks him on his kicks side. Or his, on his sides. <laughs> I'm not a horse person. But, you know, like, kicks yeah. them so they go. Yes, I know what you mean. Apparently, he's kicking them harder and harder, like, fucking go. And gunpowder won't do it. Oh. Um. And so he's now feeling stuck in the woods on this horse that won't go anywhere. And all of a sudden he hears a sound near the path and he sees something, quote, huge, misshapen and towering standing there. And he says, who are you? And there's no reply. So he asks again and no answer again. And then this being steps into the middle of the road and Ichabod is just tries to get around him at this point. Like it's this being on a horse. He sees it in the distance and he's like i'm just gonna like keep riding like we're gonna turn around so Mind now me. this being is behind them oh no and he's like i'm just gonna ignore it like it's just someone else coming home from the party or something um but he feels like this thing is creepily close like uncomfortably close and so he does that thing that we all do on a sidewalk where it's like i'm just gonna go around you and walk fast so we're not near each other anymore yeah and then as he does that, all of a sudden, the horse behind him starts getting faster and keeping up with him, even oh, though he's trying to speed oh, away. No. So then he thinks, okay, I'm going to just literally, like, go super slow so he'll go around me. I see, I see. And then the guy behind him slows down. So this being is, like, just keeping up with him whether or not he Pacing, speeds up or slows yeah. down. Um, and so all he knows is that this is, like, a, a big dude on a powerful black horse and he's just trotting along no matter what speed they're going at. And eventually Ichabod's like, fuck this. And he just books it. He just goes as fast as he can. And this guy takes off with him. Um, so they're going super fast to a point where gunpowder is even like kind of losing his way and not paying attention to where he needs to run. He's just also spooked. And so they kind of like almost keep getting to the bridge and then gunpowder freaks out and like they go back no! into the woods and so every time ichabod thinks he's almost in the clear oh, that's it becomes this chase scene um when gunpowder for like 
who looked like he was like really not doing hot earlier. He's like going as fast as he possibly can. Hell yeah. And even the saddle is starting to fall off. And oh, Ichab- no. Ichabod at one point has to like kind of jump off of the saddle as it's falling off of him and grab gunpowder by the neck and just ride him oh, no. like as fast as he can holding on. Um, eventually he actually does get to the bridge and he's thinking like, as long as I can get to the bridge, I'm safe. And, but he's feeling this thing is so close to him. He can feel hot breath from this oh, no. horseman apparently. Um, and he's like, as long as I can get to the bridge, I'm going to be okay. So he gets to the bridge and he's on the bridge and thinking he finally made it. He turns around to mm-hmm. make sure that the headless horseman isn't following him. And the horseman couldn't get on the bridge so the horse has stopped and he's looking at him from the other end of the bridge. But the horseman then stands up in his stirrups. And th- this is when real- when he realizes that even though he was a headless horseman, apparently he was holding his head the whole time. So he was never looking for his head. He'd fucking found it. He was <laughs> still mad. But then he so the headless horseman stands up in his stirrups and chucks his head at oh, Ichabod. What? Crane. It hits Ichabod. He falls off the horse and gunpowder is still spooked and runs off. No. And we gun don't. Gunpowder's like you kick me in the stomach. Fuck you. I'm leaving. <laughs> and then we never. That's, that's it? it. That's the end. That's it. We don't know what happened to Ichabod. But so <gasps> the next morning, gunpowder is Nothing found good, by himself. That. He's found in town without a saddle on, and Ichabod doesn't show up all day. But then once they realize that Ichabod has not come home for breakfast lunch or dinner <laughs> then they're like okay we this something's is, wrong ring the alarm bell we have to go look for him so they start going towards the bridge because they know he went to that party last Uh-oh. night and so uh they basically get to the the bridge and they find that they find gunpowder saddle they find hoof prints um from the church to the bridge they find ichabod's hat and they find a smashed pumpkin <gasps> and so they looked everywhere, but they never found him, and they never came back. Or they, he never came back for his things. They just destroyed everything of his, and they just moved on with their lives. Um, but the narrator says years later, an old farmer um, had told him this story, and he'd been to New York, and he saw Ichabod Crane himself and confirmed that he's alive and well. Oh. And that Ichabod studied law, became a politician, wrote for the newspaper, and became a court justice. And Brom Bones and Katrina got married, but Brom always laughs when he hears about Ichabod and the pumpkin hitting him because it. a lot of people think that that means it was never a headless horseman. It, it was, was Brom. It was Brom Bones trying to, trying to scare him away from Katrina. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people uh, in Sleepy Hollow don't believe that it was a pumpkin. They think that the pumpkin was planted there and the headless horseman actually just took him in the middle of the night through the woods to never be seen again. So a lot of people think that it was a a plant job to make it look like it was a prank and Ichabod got out of town, but really the headless horseman got him after all. So despite this, many people still think that Ichabod never was seen again and that he was taken by the headless horseman. So that's the story of what? So we don't even know. I'm going to go with the story that he's just now alive and well and living in. I'm going to go with the headless horseman took him. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. What a tale. What a long tale. But I I thought it was was worth hearing all the the history because I knew none of that. And I found out that Washington Irving is probably definitely gay. Oh, love that. queer in some way. Love that for him. So Um, 
Also, I love that we're approaching Halloween and your stories are getting kind of Halloween-y. Oh, good. No pressure for me to keep going and getting more more Halloween-y. Listen, there's always pressure and we always fail, so don't worry. I don't think anyone's... We always succeed in the way no one's expecting. And we always fail in the way people hope. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, Okay, well, Em, I have um, an unsolved case for you today. Yay! Yeah. Huzzah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> my favorite category, but still, I always hate the endings because it's very someone's on the loose. It's fun because you can theorize and it's not fun because you want an answer. So, yes, this is the disappearance of Josh Guimo. Or as I kept hearing Guimond. pronounced Guimond, but it, as far know. as the news tells me, it's pronounced Guimo. Either way, I don't know it. OK, so um, I actually discovered. OK, so I listened to um, a podcast on this and I was very impressed. And then I, I was like, this is some great information that I hadn't heard elsewhere. And then I looked them up and they're like really new and really small. And I was like, hey, I don't even know how I like stumbled upon this. Mm. But it was they were I mean, they're really good. It's called Victimized Podcast. Huh. And um, I just was I just want to give them a little shout out. I mean, sure. they were just really good at what they did and then i listened to every single episode i mean they only oh. have like seven hour right now but i listened <laughs> it to all was easy of them. to do then you're, you're totally caught up i binged it <laughs> exactly so anyway they was there they do a great job so um if you want some really excellent research check them out okay so uh let me just dive right into the tale by all means okay jo- john gimo josh josh gimo mm-hmm. okay. Um, It's Saturday, November 9th on a cold, wintry evening in Collegeville, Minnesota. Mm. 20-year-old junior Josh Guimau is playing cards and having some drinks with a group of nine friends. So this is at St. John's University um, where he goes to school. And he's at his friend Nate's apartment in Metancourt, which is like the north end of this campus. Uh, Between 11 p.m. and midnight, he says – like at some point during that time, he says to his friends he's going to run to the bathroom. And after a little while, he doesn't come back. So everyone kind of thinks, oh, he maybe he didn't feel well or maybe he just decided to go home. Mm. Um, he only lives three minutes away by foot. So they were like, he probably just left. Just, yeah. just like just bailed. skipped away. Yeah. yeah. So the following day, Sunday, November 10th, Josh doesn't show up for mock trial. And uh, this seems a little weird to his friends because he's very punctual and like this isn't something he would normally miss, much like Ichabod would never miss breakfast. That's the truth. (laughs) Actually, Ichabod's got me beat because I sleep through breakfast, but I make lunch (laughs) count. You make lunch your breakfast. And I actually think that I make lunch my breakfast, brunch and lunch. Yeah. And snack number one of the day. And your bitch. You make lunch your bitch and your brunch. I love put that on a shirt. Don't though. Make lunch your bitch. I feel like we're going to get in trouble. Okay. Um, With like my dad. Anyway. So he doesn't show up for mock trial, and this is, like, really out of character. And uh, so his friends talked to his roommate, Nick, who was like, yeah, he didn't come home last night. Mm. And they're like, oh, dear. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Um, So essentially, nobody had seen him since then, and he had completely disappeared out of thin air. So a little background on Josh. Um, His name is Joshua Cheney Guimau. He was born on June 18th, 1982, and was from Maple Lake, Minnesota. Hmm. Um, he was class president of his high school, voted most likely to succeed. Uh, he wanted to work in politics and his grandmother, Barb, was a member of the ha- Minnesota House of Representatives. Oh. And like when he was writing his scholarship paper, he like talked about his grandma, Barb, and how like he aspired to be like her. It was very sweet. That's very sweet. So he um, this is actually one thing I learned from this victimized podcast is that he had his email address was Senator Josh because he was like very oh, like aspiring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, so as a devout, he was a devout Christian. He attended church on Sundays and then had enrolled at St. John's University in Minnesota, which is this like really excellent Catholic liberal, liberal, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> liberal arts college. Uh, it's Catholic. Um, and at St. John's during his junior year, he was, while he was majoring in political science, he also did other things like he, uh, did mock trial. Like I said, he um, was also kind of like fun and goofy. Like he wasn't just very, you know, straight laced or anything. So my brother, as I think I told you last night, my brother recently got a newspapers.com subscription and I've yes. become like just thoroughly obsessed. Um, so there's this article from the St. Cloud Times um, and uh, Josh had written this poem that was later found on his computer and it's about martinis. Huh. I'm going to read it to you. Oh, please. And they read it in this victimized podcast too. And I was like, I need to find this because this is excellent. So it's called A Drink with Something in It. Huh. There is something about a martini, a tingle remarkably pleasant, a yellow, mellow martini. I wish I had one present. Oh. By the way, so do I. Eva? Okay. <laughs> there is something about a martini ere the dining and dancing begin. And to tell you the truth, it's not in the vermouth. I think perhaps it's in the gin. That's Isn't fun. that fun? That's so fun. <laughs> it was like, so cute. So cute, so fun. Yeah. So boozy. So boozy. <laughs> okay. Um, and this was what again? Uh, what is, how does this come forward? <laughs> just like, I'm kind of blacking out. I'm like, I thought we were talking about someone who's missing. Yeah, they later found on his computer this poem. So like, Aha, it yes. just shows like a part of his character. It's that just like, goofy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't just, he also really liked cigars, I guess. He wasn't like, you know, just super straight laced. Like he also loved to poetize about martinis, I guess. Sure. Um, so with no idea where Josh was, especially after not turning up to mock trial, his friends tell his father around 8 PM and reporting, report him missing to police when they can't find him anywhere. So searches began that night, but it was too dark for like a thorough search around campus. Um, according to CBS Minnesota, they also didn't have great technology in 2002. So there were no security cameras. They didn't have cell phones. So it was like. It's yeah. not a great time for them to do a late night dark search. Sure. Um, according to his friends, although there was like a little bit of drinking at the card game night, um, he wasn't drunk at all. And his father had asserted that Joshua was not depressed. He was a very active, conscientious student with many friends and like obviously was very aspirational. Um, so it didn't really like the angle of depression or suicide didn't, didn't really fit. Yeah. Yeah. And so even investigators were like, eh, I don't think that's what happened here. So on Monday, November 11th, the search for Joshua officially began and uh, the National Guard came out, Stern County Sheriff's Department. Uh, they used horses and people on the ground to search the campus. And while searching Josh's room, they found he had left his glasses and contact lenses at home that night, which seems... So like, I would immediately think there was a problem. Yeah. As a glasses contacts wearer, I'd be Same. like... If you forgot that, does anyone recall you don't forget when my that. contact literally fell out of my face the other day? <laughs> and, I was like, and then the end of the world happened. <laughs> and we went to Cheesecake Factory and I was driving and I was like, I got to stop at home and get my glasses because <laughs> this isn't going to end well for anybody if I'm driving around Los Angeles like this. With one eye. With one eye. Yeah. Like that horse, you know. Yeah. One's devilish and one's just like not. That's you after a couple drinks. That's your eyelid that keeps drooping. Me winking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, um, they are searching the area and they search his room and he had left his glasses and contacts at home, which is strange. He didn't bring a credit card. He didn't even bring his coat uh, to this card night. And it was a very cold Minnesota night. Mm. Um, at the same time, I'm like, it was a three minute walk. So I can imagine if he just was intending to go to his friends, 
Right. You're just like a sweater run over there, which. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of goes into the same angle of like maybe like he probably wasn't expecting to go anywhere else. I don't know. That's just my thought. Wasn't it late at night or something? Yeah. So, yeah. You'd think he would just do a quick back and forth. I don't know. Um, so he didn't bring a credit card, didn't bring a coat. His car they found totally undisturbed. Um, and these are this is what kind of led his closest friends and family to believe that maybe foul play was involved. Yeah. So the Minnesota State Patrol also aided by sending helicopters. They did an aerial search of the woods. Um, a statewide alert was sent out. And uh, a missing persons bulletin went out in all major media in the area and newscasts. So the next day on Tuesday, November 12th, which was day two of the search, campus buildings uh, continued to be searched by the Stern County Sheriff's Department, um, who had now asked for help from local volunteers. Uh, so they were, like, doing a full-on search of this campus. Um, so... <laughs> Offers from Maple Lake High School, where Josh went to school, uh, were turned down by the Stern County Sheriff's Department, to whom they said only prayers were needed at this time. Okay, so great. So <laughs> let's oh, stop right there. Yeah, thoughts bad. and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Okay, that'll that'll How about fix thoughts, it. prayers, and action. Yeah. How about thoughts, prayers, and action? Nope. No okay, thanks. just the prayers. On Wednesday, November thirteenth, the Minnesota National Guard um, stepped in to aid the search, providing 118 troops and equipment. They searched a 16 square mile area around campus, and after a search dog picked up Joshua's scent near Stump Lake, which is sometimes also called Stump Flake, oh, um, which in German is Stumpf. I see, okay. which means stump. So okay. So it goes from Stump Flake to Stump Flake. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Got it. I don't know if they say Stumpfer. Stump. Christine certainly does. I say a lot of things. <laughs> um, so don't listen to me. Okay. So it basically is a, it's just a fun German fun fact. Um, so uh, it's a snake lake body of lake, body of water. Um, it was on the route that Josh would have taken from Metten Court, where his friend lived, uh, to his own dorm at St. Moore's house. So uh, the decision to lower the water level was approved to like see if they could find anything in this lake it's not a very big lake either gotcha and so they searched and dragged the lake with the support of volunteers um, from the trident foundation which is a nonprofit uh designed to respond to drownings or water-based crime situations so they just like come in and interesting yeah it's really cool didn't even cross my mind that that com- type of company that exists would, we keep learning these like <clears throat> forensic roles blown away and, i know it's it's really cool so the following day, which would be Thursday, so we're like four days in now. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Brian Gimo, Josh's dad, attended a meeting and press conference at the state capitol for families of three other young people who went missing within an 11-day period of each other. Oh. Yeah. So this is where it starts to get weird. Okay. And a 200-mile radius around Minnesota and Wisconsin. So their names were Michael Knoll, Erica Dahlquist, and Chris Jenkins. And now Brian Gimo was the fourth. Um, that's like the one. I'm sorry, club Josh Gimo, Brian Gimo was his dad. That's the club you like really feel bad for, like, yes. bringing new members in. Yeah, like, you're like, we want another to cap one. This at three, please. Yeah, yeah, it's really unfortunate. So Josh obviously became the fourth, and his dad Brian spoke to um, the other victim, Chris Jenkins' family. So I don't know if anyone will remember this because. Um, we say a lot of things on the show, but Chris Jenkins was a 21 year old student at the university of Minnesota who disappeared after a Halloween party in 2002, which was nine days before Josh went missing. Okay. And he was dressed as an American Indian, according to ABC news. Yikes. Do you remember this at all? Okay. No, this, uh, has a connection to a story I covered a few months ago. Oh, did you cover Chris Jenkins story? He was part of a bigger story. Interesting. That I will get to momentarily. 
Um, so because Chris and Joshua have a similar profile, white male cis college students, um, the families were like, maybe something's going on. Oh, here. is it? Is this the storyline where someone was taking like all the preppy boys like smiley face killer? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was one of the victims in the smiley face killer interesting theory okay. of murders um i i know it as the preppy boy killers i, mean, I know i was like is that the same i think yeah like it was all of the the mo was like everyone that was being taken or found dead or yes. whatever they were all like straight white boys yes and the only reason obviously i mem- uh mentioned his outfit again is because that's what he was found in and i de- that's how he was sure. identified um so the jenkins and guimau family started to take things into their own hands so brian guimau um, josh's dad conducted a search with 75 to 100 volunteers mostly from the high school even though they'd been rejected by police by saying only thoughts and prayers please yikes so they combed the woods uh, around <clears throat> the campus again they found nothing um but then the jenkins family involved a man trailing bloodhound called hoover Hoover. Sweetie. He's a booty doody. Sweetie boy. And his Hoover. owner, Penny Bell, who volunteered their time to the case, um, upon doing uh, some little digging, mm-hmm. pardon the pun, uh-huh. um, the dog's full name, which I'm sure you're interested in knowing. I gotta know. Is Hoover Von Vacuum. <laughs> we got Rip Van Winkle and a Hoover Von Vacuum. It's quite an episode today. Oh, this is so sweet. I know. So Hoover Von Vacuum is a little sniffing machine. Tell me he's the hero of the story. Well, he does definitely open this case in a weird direction. So on December 29th, Hoover Von Vacuum traces Chris Jenkins' scent uh, to the doors of St. John's Abbey, which is, do you know what like an abbey is? Like A-B-B-E-Y? It's like where the monks live. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. Uh, no, I'm trying to think if, I'm sure you've done like a haunted abbey before, no? I don't think so. I feel like there's like a ton of The only abbey abbeys. I'm thinking of is Abbey Road, which I know is not the same thing. I mean, I think it's probably named after the same thing. Maybe. I, that's the only time I've ever used that huh. word. Okay, well, anyway, so there's this abbey on campus because it's a Catholic university and that's where the monks live. And I guess this is like the biggest group of Catholic monks on the West, in the Western Hemisphere is at this university got it there's like 200 of them or something okay um so the dog followed the scent of chris jenkins who was the other guy the guy nine days before to the doors of saint john's abbey uh then when uh, the dog was brought to the apartment where josh had been playing cards that night his friend's house hoover von vacuum followed joshua's scent uh to stump lake onto josh's apartment and then to the abbey oh okay it's weird yeah they both ended up let's just say that the dog traced both of their sons to this abbey sure weird so um the weird thing that the weird thing there's a lot of weird things but the fact that chris jenkins scent was found at the abbey is strange because he was at a bar near the university of minnesota when he disappeared and that was an hour and 12 minute drive away from this abbey so it's weird that this dog would have like picked up on the scent and walked straight to the abbey it's just like a strange thing because it's over an hour away anyways um so it's it's the fact that this dog led them to the abbey was like raised a lot of eyebrows so if you do even like a brief search online you will find this out but um for example on the findjoshua.com message board uh people like to talk about the history that this university has and it's not a great one um Uh with the the lovely abbey we're discussing here okay so saint john's university was founded in 1857 by benedictine monks um, now these nearly 200 monks reside on campus, like I said. 
Um, the Abbey's website states that they seek God through a common life of prayer, study, and work, giving witness to Christ and the gospel in service to the church and the world. Um, but according to the website behind the Pine Curtain, which is what they called kind of the area around this campus, because um, it's kind of like a secluded woodsy area. Sure. Pine Curtain. I like that. I know. It's like a really kind of fun. edgy wording. I like the it pine, a lot. It could also be like absolutely some like folky album. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The Pine good. Curtain. And then behind the Pine Curtain is like behind the scenes, like how how we made the album. <gasps> Making the band. Oh, part wait two. A Part two. What do you Abridged. call it earlier? The last making the band. The I final. The final one. I don't the want final, thinking a better one. The final behind the scenes. Um, so according to this website, Behind the Pine Curtain, which is just a great name for a blog. Yep. Um, August 1991 August marks when news broke with allegations of the abuse of two students who attended the St. John's Preparatory School by uh, a father at St. John's Abbey. So this is where we're bringing the Catholic Church fun into the the second largest fan base in the world <laughs> yeah the first Here's is mine number one. obviously um so on this same day in 1991 patrick marker uh founder of this website by the way um said to the saint cloud cloud times as a john doe at that time that he hoped publicity around his suit would lead other victims to come forward and this plan worked so marker is currently aware of over 230 victims of sexual oh. misconduct by the super monks at this abbey great mm -hmm. that's awful and uh at the time he went on to say that he believes the numbers of abusers that saint john's abbey knows about may total at least 50 people 50 separate people altogether. holy shit yeah so this website uh exists to validate the experiences of victims of sexual and other misconduct at saint john's it's full of articles documents um a reading list so if you want to look at that like it's behind the pine curtain.com earlier today was wow. um the server was down, so hopefully it's back up. Uh, St. John's has a huge history of abuse, which was partially addressed by Abbot John Classen, who was elected in 2000, when he released a statement on the St. John's website, uh, which identified the files of 18 perpetrating monks dating back to 1977. Mm. Um, but these were only like partial files, and they were immediate. like victims, advocates were immediately like, this is not the full story. You're only like picking and choosing yeah. like small cherry picking, cherry picking small parts of it. Um, and so if you remember that marker said there were at least 50 altogether, um, the, the list in, as of July, 2019, um, is now at 103. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, okay. more than doubled. So, uh, this statement of the 18 monks instead of 103, uh, was released in 2016, but it's unclear at this point, at least to me, if any of them have ever faced any criminal charges. I heard on one podcast that they have that none of them have seen any have faced any criminal repercussions. And like, if you know the history of the Catholic Church at all, typically what happens in these cases, or at least they historically, they just get moved, yeah. um, moved, bopped around. And yeah. And yeah, then just really... do the same thing somewhere else. And then when they get caught, they mm -hmm. just transfer somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So that just gives you... Did you ever watch Spotlight? I did. That was a great movie. That was a great movie. I watched it on a plane, actually. I but... feel like... I mean, Maybe it was Eva. I think I've been like screaming about that movie recently because I watched it like three times during quarantine. It's really? Like, I don't know why. I it's watched like it when we were... One of my favorite movies. I watched it when we were on tour. I, I just... At like... one point on an airplane, but... I remember I saw it in theaters and thought like... 
I had I really had like no concept of like the actual story of what yeah happened. it's really crazy the whole thing who I like I watch it that's like I don't watch a lot of movies a lot multiple but times I, like spotlights always in the running it's like, like maybe I'll watch that again that's a great it's movie. a great movie so in any case this is the history that this university has like a very dark history obviously and so now when two people go missing you know in this short span of time it's yeah. like hmm what's going on uh-huh. and uh, also how bad did it have to be to like for you to immediately be getting moved around right um wait who was moving around oh i thought are you talking about the two monks what no you- sorry two victims like oh, the two oh, guys oh, sorry who, sorry no, no no you're fine so like the two guys who died and then the dog led the trail right, to the right. abbey okay. and it sorry. was like it was just like that's not a good look. Sorry, I was on spotlight talk still where I was like no, two no. people got transferred in some way. No, you're good. But like, yeah, so these two guys vanish, yes. die. I mean, you know, Chris Jenkins mm-hmm. died. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the the fact that the scent led to the Abbey, both of them was very strange. Yeah. At least in my opinion. Definitely. So anyway, let's go back to Hoover Von Vacuum forever. Um, so Hoover Von Vacuum was following the scent Um of both Chris and Josh to the Abbey. And uh, when the dog showed interest in pursuing the scent further into the Abbey, yeah. because the dog indicated that like it needs to go now inside uh, the search team was denied access. What a Why? shock. Well, cause of what I just told you. I know. 103 I, know. L. <laughs> I know, but it's like, anyway, yeah, it's not a, it's really not a good look, but I guess they can do that. So great. I'd follow that dog anywhere. Yeah. To be clear. Oh, absolutely. But also like the dog knows. I just, okay, what happens next? So it was a week after the team were denied access, so January 5th, uh, which is approximately three months after Josh's disappearance, that they were finally given permission to enter the Abbey. So basically, uh, they had a week to clean up or hide anything. Prep, whatever they needed to Exactly. So Hoover Von Vacuum is back. (laughs) The Abbey. Hoover Von Vacuum is vacuum. Is back in action. Uh, The vacuum is vacuum. (laughs) So uh, they were given permission finally, and Hoover picks up Josh's scent at the very rear of the large building. Okay, at least they, it's helpful. At least it's still there. They didn't sweep yeah. it all up yet. I they, guess. they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't clean. They couldn't fast enough or whatever. Three days after this, allegations by Detective Dave Hoshin of the Minneapolis Police against Hoover. How dare you? And Penny arise because Hoover doesn't have any official credentials. Okay, fuck off. Yeah, seriously. In response to this, according to an article on the Maple Lake Messenger, Bell said certification is no indication of a particular bloodhound's abilities. Hoover is a man trailing bloodhound, she said. She comes with a natural inclination to do her job. Oh, I thought it was a boy. I'm sorry. Wow, we definitely both misgendered Hoover. Oops. Even though Hoover's like definitely could be a gender neutral name. Badass. What is wrong with us? Um, All she learns from training is the ritual of procedure. Why should I as a human be judging her ability to do her job? I'd rather go out and help a family than say it can't be done. Right. And according to the same article, Todd Burrell of the Maple Lake Fire Department was also present during the search and said, I was very impressed with the dog handler and the dog and very unimpressed with the Stern County Sheriff's Department. All right. Well, at least you've got someone on your side. Exactly. So uh, this being said, the credibility allegation um, succeeds and they basically kick them out of the Abbey um, and the university also said pets aren't allowed ew and they're like okay but it's like a man trailing bloodhound and they're like yeah but she doesn't have credentials so she's not allowed that's kind of how they kicked them out so they're just like trying to find any excuse at this point yeah and it's working unfortunately um so on january 18th the whole private investigation (laughs) came to a halt when st john's then instated the rule yeah that pets were not allowed i did just say that sorry um and since she wasn't credentialed she counted as a pet how dare you that's awful the 
<coughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, <clears throat> the Hoover Von Vacuum team were asked to leave because they had not coordinated through the sheriff's department. And the Guimau family was notified that uh, private searches, searches could be conducted as long as the, ab- the head abbot... Uh, of St. John's was notified prior to the search, which is like, okay, that defeats all freaking purpose, yeah. but whatever. Um, so they searched the lake again, couldn't find anything. And again, this is not a very big lake. So you right. think they would have found something with multiple searches. Um, on February 27, 2003, Chris Jenkins' body was found wearing the Halloween costume. Um, the medical examiner, <clears throat> excuse me, the medical examiner found no signs of foul play. So the official cause of death, um, is listed as undetermined. And we talked about him, that him in the smiley face killer episode. Um, the police believe Chris died from accidental drowning, but there were some other strange inconsistencies, um, on medium, uh, Lisa Marie Fuqua, who wrote an article wrote, firstly, he was found with his arms crossed in front of him, which is odd for victims who fall into the water and drown. And secondly, his shirt was still tucked into his drawstring pants and his slip on moccasins were still on his feet. Mm. Um, so people, the pathologist believed that his body was already in rigor mortis when he was put in the water because it it. remained like in this, that, that position. So strange inconsistency. And then again, like the dog was trailing his scent to this abbey an hour away. So that's also weird. Um, At the end of March 2003, uh, Michael Knoll, who was one of the other people who had gone missing, um, was found in Half Moon Lake in Wisconsin, unfortunately. And then eventually Erica's body was also found in Brainerd, Minnesota. um, In like the backyard of her murderer. Like she had been killed like in his backyard. Ugh, it's really horrible. So in early June 2003, this is now seven months after he went missing, St. John's sends a letter to the Guimau family indicating that the Stern County Sheriff's Department deems the St. John's property to have been satisfactorily examined and no further searches were planned at the time. So they're like, anyway, nice knowing you. Yeah, it's been real. It's been real. Josh's family and father are like, no, we are going to keep looking, obviously. Um, there, but there's even been like protesting outside the the courthouse. Wow. Um, and they've been doing their own search and research and to the point that the university literally took out a court order of restraint against Brian Gimo. What? That's how much they did not want him searching. Wow. They're probably. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know it's not a good sign. Um, so to this day, unfortunately this case still remains, um, unsolved. I have a couple theories here and some questions that kind of mm, complicate things, I guess. So, uh, I mean, obviously one of the big theories is, did St. John's Abbey have something to do with this? Like, yeah. some people think maybe he was walking home that night and bumped into a father. Right. And maybe either maybe he knew something or saw something. Um, or maybe he had already been involved, like, a bun- like you know, many of these other victims. Maybe he had been a victim himself. Yeah. And somebody wanted to take care of that. Um there was there were a few sources that said Josh was writing a paper on the university's response to sexual abuse. But uh, okay. there's also not enough real evidence of yeah, that. There's no like proof of that. So it's a little strange. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that could, if that if that's true, that's then, a huge. Yeah, that's a red flag. I think so. Um, so he could have been abducted. That's another thing that people thought, like everything was left in his room. His car was untouched. His glasses, his coat, everything was left behind. Um, why did he leave so abruptly, though? You know, it's a question like was it was he supposed to meet somebody around midnight and that's why he kind of abruptly left um did the friends not like properly check up on him it's just very weird the abrupt leaving and then like literally nobody ever saw him again it's just very strange um and again like 
it wasn't a huge party. It was like 10 people. It's not like there was a huge party going on and he slipped away. You're just like like drinking with the guys. And then just was like, I'm going to the bathroom. And then just like never came back. So just strange. Super weird. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Blah, 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 blah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, okay. Um, one thought is like maybe the friends at the party did have something to do with it. Um, huh. Which is an interesting theory. So on the week of December 2nd, 2002, which was three weeks after Josh went, went missing, um, the Stearns County Sheriff Department had also conducted and questioned eight of the nine students present at the party the night Joshua disappeared, um, but stated that they were unable to contact the remaining student, which seems odd because there was yeah. one person they just said, we can't contact that person and ask any questions, which it's is weird. like, why? Yeah. If you know who it is. Right. What happened to them? Or yeah. What's, what's going, going on? Like, why are they, why are they like uh, excused? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why have they been like pardoned? Well, from they've this? been let go from this situation. So weird. Um, and then another really weird twist is maybe Josh had gotten into some other sort of trouble because within hours or days, it's not really sure after he disappeared, someone had erased 300 items from his computer hard drive. Sounds like he was up to something. Well, uh, some of the information was recovered, and uh, it turns out he was helping with making fake ID cards for underage drinking. Um, Now, so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I feel like we have all had that friend where we're like, if something happens, erase my computer, my browser history, whatever, you know, like even jokingly. But, um, you know, I'm sure like if he was involved with another student and they were doing fake id cards right. i bet the friend would be like shit i don't want that to come out right while so it doesn't necessarily someone mean... was just being a good friend and trying to like cover up yeah. something or else they were or... also involved and were like i don't want to get into any right, trouble right, right, right. but yeah so i mean that i think that it's shady but i could also explain that away as like right. a friend or or somebody who was like i don't want this getting out there right um so that was the other thing too i was wondering is like then maybe his term paper that we don't have proof of could have been delayed as well. Okay. So. That's a good point. Especially if multiple people have said he was writing this term paper. Like, it seems like a weird thing to make up. In which case, then then the story changes a lot. Right. It's like a totally different shift. Then it's a cover-up or something. Yeah. It's like a hit job. Creepy. Um, So, maybe this was a smiley face killer. I mean... That's another theory. Yeah. I personally don't think it was. Uh, that was episode 173, but if you want to check one it One of those four people missing ended up being a, a part of that storyline, right? Chris yeah, Jenkins. but that's, that whole theory is, like, very un... Right. Like, it's... Unclear. It's... Most people think he drowned accidentally. Okay. And then there are the people who swear by the smiling case, the smiley face killer theory, and believe he was part of this bigger scheme... I kind of mentally debunked that for myself in that episode, but gotcha. I mean, maybe, maybe it's true. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying I'm not sure. Um, again, they were both white male cis college age successful students who were found in bodies of water. Um, not that Josh was found in a body of water, but he was clearly traced to the lake. Mm. Um, however, there was no smiley face graffiti reported in Chris Jenkins' case or in Josh's case. So, gotcha. seems like not that strong of a smiley face connection to me but who's to say um and again like maybe he was in the lake and they just weren't able to find him which seems unlikely um this could have been a suicide this could have been accident an accident if he had been intoxicated or fallen in yeah um 
So Brian Gimo, uh, Josh's dad, was told by Stern County Sheriff John St- John Sanner that Josh must have fallen into a swampy area. Uh, and actually, they told him at one point that maybe he was eaten by turtles. Okay, I'm not even making Fuck that off. Up. Is that not the weirdest thing you've ever it's heard? Like it's <laughs> it's such a random, obscure, put, like it's has so much less potential. That why would that be the thing They're you like, said? Oh yeah, there are a hundred priests who are abusing young yeah. men, but um, it and was probably a, a man-eating turtle. Yeah, exactly, or a frog, or like, or like a magical fairy maybe. just came down. <laughs> magical fairy. I mean, it's not impossible. It's definitely less possible than all these other things I could have said. Yeah, but I'm gonna choose this thing. Well, and the reason I love this victimized <clears throat> podcast so much is that one of the hosts was like. I went and looked to see if there are man-eating turtles. Right. Are there? No. She's like, there's a kind in India that does that. But, like, there's no evidence that they're – this isn't, like, a well-known species in Minnesota or something. So just odd. So I appreciated that they did that research for me that I was wondering. The deep dive on turtles. (laughs) Uh the final deep deep dive on turtles. Final dive. Making the band. Okay. Behind the pine curtain. Behind the pine curtain. 2.0. Um, so all in all, Brian Gimo is very frustrated at how his son's case has been handled, obviously, um, especially with the delays. Like, for example, it took two requests for the Trident Foundation to be allowed to search the lake, um, the delay to enter the Abbey, which could have, you know, erased all sorts of evidence, um, the delay in interviewing students, a delay in involving volunteers who were just told to pray, um, and the failure of examining Josh's computer. Oh, by the way, yeah, his dad analyze his family analyzed his computer the police didn't do that like he went took the computer went to get the hard drive recovered because somebody had deleted all these files Uh so they're the ones that discovered all this not even the police no oh okay yeah great yeah not a good sign brian says quote it's like i said from day one he was set up and grabbed there's all kinds of human trafficking going on sex slaves all that crap all that crap yes all that (laughs) he's not wrong nobody wants to talk about it that's real it's happening there's no evidence to point that it is an abduction or it is that it is an abduction or it isn't an abduction as a parent you can see how this has been very frustrating i think it's time that somebody is held accountable for their mistakes it is obvious that we have had no cooperation from the first day and if anything we have been lied to and misled this is my son a human being not a missing animal that we are talking about and trying to find so it's approaching 18 years now since Josh went missing, and this disappearance, I know, still remains unsolved, um, although Brian has since hired private investigators and still holds out hope for his son, and they still regularly hold, like, uh, yearly, you know, um, remembrance parties and that kind of thing. Um, he says it can be solved. It's just going to take the right people looking at the right information. So if you do want to find out more information about the case or if you do have any information, this is also, like, not a widely spread story. Like, I didn't know about it before researching it um so please head to the site findjoshua.com um this is brian's website his dad's website and if you have any information about his disappearance you're asked to contact the stearns county sheriff uh, steve soika and you can call them at 320-259-3702 or email him at steve.soika s-o-y-k-a at co this is a long email at co.stearns s-t-e-a-r-n-s dot m-n dot u-s backslash free thoughts dot gov dot edu also you can just call that phone number it might be easier um or if you have phone anxiety like me maybe just go to findjoshua.com and yeah brian will lead the way right right right. so anyway that is the unsolved disappearance of josh chemo and um i'm really hoping this is solved because it sounds like there's some shady shit going on at this school that 
even in and of itself needs to be addressed. I personally, I really want to believe that there was like some paper on his computer that he was writing. That's a I really that's, interesting lead or like, interesting I think it's angle. a super interesting lead. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the one I'm leaning towards. I do too. I find that really fascinating. And like the fact that clearly there was already this mounting interest yeah. And, you know, these victims have come forward and been like, this happened to way more people than you think. Mm-hmm. You know, who's to say he wasn't a victim or he didn't know something or research something he wasn't supposed to see. Right. Um, so who's to say? But Yikes. maybe we'll find out. Weird. All right. Well, fingers crossed that things go well. I hope so. If we have any updates, I will let you know. Oh, thank you guys for putting up with such a long episode. <laughs> thank you guys for putting up with us. Thank you for putting up with us. I'm putting up with a little lemon. Little lemon. Little lemon. Little lemon. Little lemon. Little lemon. Yeah. 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 Okay. Making the band. <laughs> behind the pine curtain. <laughs> little lemon in the pine curtain. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That was great. Write that down. Okay. Uh, thank you guys. And sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you uh, want to find out more information, you go to and that's why we drink.com. Um, yep. Check us out at ATWD Podcast. And otherwise, we will see you next week. Yes. And that's why we drink. Clink. Ever been to Delaware? If not, now is the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com.